Veteran Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday morning and here come the girls, Ray and Faye, with Let's Talk Gardening. everyone great to be with you again and i do hope you are managing to keep safe as best we all can and you can call through anytime from now till 10 a.m nine four and a big shout out to chris bartlett he flew solo this morning did an amazing job and uh, always a brilliant kickstart to the saturday morning program lineup thank you so much chris and I think Chris, poor old Jim is away crook and, yeah, it's just a moving feast at the moment. Now you see me, now you don't. We're, we're holding, the, holding the fort. We the gardening are. team is tough. We're strong. Well, yeah, we're healthy. outdoor people, I guess, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, very much outdoor. Yeah, if I, even if I have to go out somewhere, I always try and sit outside <laughs> in the air, you know. I, you've got to just think about these things, don't you? you know? Well, keeping your distance is very important, yeah, isn't it? Giving, totally. Giving everyone space. and Yeah, totally. Well, social distancing, they yeah, call it. Yeah, yeah, we practice that. How has your week been? Oh, another fantastic week. <laughs> and how was the Curtain Car Show last weekend? Well, it was uh, sensational. A very hot day, very hot. Oh, I just don't enjoy that. And that's just a personal thing with me. I found it to be a oh, very humid you're day. You're not the only one, Ray. It, wa- it <gasps> was very warm and it was very humid. And that's, you know, I think there's yeah. a lot to be talked about around humidity. Yeah. In yeah. regards to gardening, because yeah. plants really love it. Oh, many plants And it's one do. of the keys if mm. you're keeping indoor plants, keeping mm. the humidity up to them. Yeah, absolutely. So, so a topic hu- to be later covered. I know, humidifiers in our <laughs> homes. Don't worry, it's on my on my list of things to do. Now, this morning, who are we chatting to? Angie Thomas yes. from the Horticultural Communications at Yates, she's the manager, and we're talking about potting mix, everything you need to know about potting mix. And it is in response to, with the sort of summer that we've had, wondering about how this impacts, you know, we go out, it's all, you know, it's all very costly. We buy our products, our potting mix, etc., our fertilisers. The heat we've just been through, does that impact, you know, our goodies that we've invested good money in? And at five past nine, we're chatting with horticulturalist Renee Hiller from A Pace Nursery. And we're talking about how to prepare soil for native plants as a follow on from a question from last week. We're expanding on that further. I did feel that when I answered the question, it wa- it wasn't definitive, and the the reason for that is, uh, it it's like when you say native, it's like saying Australian. Yeah, it's you know, it encompasses yeah. a huge range of diverse climates around the country, and so when we we say, how do I prepare a native garden? There is not one size fits all. No. So. For best results, we need to go back to basics, start at 
ground level, down to earth, let's understand more about our local native area and what those plants need and what really are the local natives. So that will vary whether you're on the coast mm. or whether you're in the hills. Mm. So if you're you're starting from scratch, then if you're planting plants that belong in that area, you actually don't have to do much at all. And yeah. if you watch how the bush responds, mm. you may not actually want that style of a native garden. You yeah. might want something that you see uh, at the, the forefront of King's Park. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> understanding the diversity of options that we have is key. For success. And so mm. we'll, we'll start drilling down, get to the nitty-gritty and help people understand a bit more from the bottom up. Yes, and you've been shopping, I see, as oh. well. Yes, I have. Well, my aroid (laughs) addiction is growing and I've been seeking out different Do you think you need an intervention or...? Oh, I I had a little bit of an intervention to myself because I got up the other morning to go out and turn the sprinklers on on my watering day Mm. and I said to Eddie, I'm just going to turn them on, then I'll come back in and have a shower. Well, I end up down at the shade house and I pulled a few more aroids out of the shade house and I brought them up to the veranda and then I started shuffling things again because of the the weather coming and mm. I made sure things were not out where they were going to get wind blown and I moved things around on the bench and I spread them out and I potted them on and used up all the poles that I'd bought so mm. oh my goodness I have the most beautiful display but there's still a few I haven't got Ray. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so it's but a then the need increases. Like I need more poles. I need more potting mix. It's expensive, right? Yes, and some of them I'll have to bring inside. So, mm, should I look at a grow light for the winter? Could mm. I get better results if I really upped my game? Do I need a humidifier? Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, and I so think, it goes I think, on. Yeah, I know it does. It's it's how long is a piece of string? But I think humidifiers are a good investment because when I watch programs with people who have high success with indoor plants, they all have their humidifiers. And but do I need a little grow tent? Probably. <laughs> well, you've got four acres, you could do it, you've oh, got the space. But then, yeah. then that takes me back to one little area that I'm focusing on. I've mm. got four acres, so I know. there's all sorts of things to be done on that four acres. Mm. I can't be focused on one little area and lose sight of the big picture. So Mm. I've been out planting some of the big pots that I had in my shade houses of ginger, palms, ferns, etc. They've started going into the ground. Yeah. And, oh, it's looking lovely. It's a a different view from the deck. Yeah. Well, you sent me a video of that last night and I could see that. I could see what you've been doing and it looks amazing. Well, Well hopefully it will if I can get it maintained, Ray. And as you know, we're gearing up for a wedding and I keep getting asked, oh, can we come and have a look at your garden? But Mm. honestly, it's not... It's not all there yet. I'm struggling with the lawn at the moment. Mm. Um, That's a dilemma. The rains are bringing out the fungi. Yesterday when I was doing a spot of hand watering, I see Mm. these little puffs of uh, spore. Mm. And I thought, oh, the only time I've really noticed that before is when I've watered the earth stars Mm. and they act like a powder puff. And with each drop of rain, poof, comes out this little plume of spores. Mm. But 
I couldn't see an earth star there, which, you know, they're, they're the size of a golf ball. Yeah. So I, I had to keep watering and then drill down and get closer. And I actually think that it was fruiting slime mould. So with the rains, wow. we've got, mm. well, and I don't know because I just spread new mulch and sometimes slime yeah. mould can can colonise that. And, of course, then when it's completing its cycle, they go to fruiting bodies. But these were like the size of the little ball on a pin. Mm. And uh, when wow. I touched them, poof, out came this oh. plume of spore. So mm. possibly uh, there's one called wolf's milk. Mm. And initially it's red and then it goes to a brownish colour, dries out, and this is when the... I think it's sporocarps become brittle and they explode. And that's how how slime moulds transfer themselves around, mm. floating off in the air and they rest mm. on some bark or breaking down wood and then they start eating it. They start crawling, spreading like mm. the blob. Yeah, and the they, blob. <laughs> they eat the bacteria Yeah, and that mm. provides an environment for something else. Complex relationships, so, so important. Mm. So well, fascinating. <laughs> and that little bit of rain last night was absolutely wonderful. Started later last night, certainly at my way. And it, it, I guess the few times that I woke during the night, I could just hear a very gentle uh, falling of rain. And if things look rather wet, damp this morning, which is wonderful, wonderful. How long have we been waiting for a downpour, seriously? We, yes, yes. Yeah. A turn so, of season. And, and a beautiful day today. This is this is true autumn. So I am uh, a happy girl. Now, we've got lots of emails to uh, get through. Courage your calls, 94841927. I guess let's kick off. We've got a, f- a bit of work to do here. We have. Now, a hot topic at the moment. Uh, I think many of you would have noticed moths flying around. They've been doing that for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, well, Jeff Ellis ha- from Mandra has sent us in a photo of a caterpillar. He's been spraying this product on, on affected plants over the last three weeks to no avail. Is there a better product? Is there a certain ingredient I should be looking for in the choice of products? After spraying two caterpillars directly yesterday at 5pm, I put them in a plastic container and... As of 7.15 today, those two are still alive, plus Mm. one young one. I dug up the succulents yesterday as they look beyond recovery. Now I find them on the geraniums, same garden bed. Yeah. Advice would be greatly appreciated. Now, the the topic of caterpillars um, is a very hot one, as I said. I was fixing retic the other day in a garden in South Lake and just under the surface, I pulled up a caterpillar. So I sent it off to uh, Deep Herd and they have identified it as a lawn armyworm, which is exactly what Jeff's photograph looks like. It's a native and widespread from India, Southeast Asia and Australia, an occasional pest of rice, sorghum and particularly turf production can damage kaikuya, Bermuda grass and also horsetail she-oak. The caterpillar is similar to the cluster caterpillar. Both species feed at night. During the day, they can usually be found in the soil around the plants. In regards to control, once the caterpillars get above 20 millimetres, pesticides do not appear to affect them. 
Therefore, you spray for them when they are smallest at a few millimetres long. Once they are large, the only option is to wait until after dark and the garden has been watered or it has rained and go outside with a torch and hand pick them off and freeze them. So there you go. And for a lot of people out there. Now, I was suspecting that I had a problem with my lawn a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Parts of it look threadbare. I've aerated, I've applied Mm. wetting agent, I've fertilised and still it appeared to be going back. So I went out with a a bucket of soapy water, tipped it on, found nothing. nothing. And then I've been out the last uh, two nights with a torch and flying low across the ground are moths. Mm. So I I know I've got it. Mm. Um, There's also a sod worm. Um, if you're on Facebook, you will see a lot of activity on the the Lawn Addicts page about the army worm taking out large patches of turf. Well, as you know, that happened to me this week. Mm. They, well, it took out most of my right. lawn. So moths mm. are laying caterpillars. Now, the other mm. interesting thing is that I've been watching a willy wagtail on yeah. my lawn this mm. week. Yeah, uh, me too. So... Mm. You know, it's it's just been custodian of one area of lawn, so picking out grubs, I assume. So that makes me very conscious about treatment, mm. if at all. Um, for people who are uh, looking for a solution, what have what have you done with yours, Ray? Well, th- that was treated through the gentleman that looks after my lawn, as mm. you know, Infinity Lawns, Clay Anderson. So he discovered it and, yeah, the lawn went backwards very, very fast mm. and seven-eighths of it was eaten out and you can see basically where we stopped it, but he did use chemicals. Mm. Yeah, had to. So... There's no way that I think that I would have sat there and waited for nature to take its course in this situation because nature had taken out seven-eighths of my well, that's it. lawn. And, and they like, from what I can ascertain, um, healthy lawn. Mm. That's what they go for. So the moths are laying hundreds mm. of eggs. They can have more than one breeding cycle in a season. Yeah, that's right. It can have a second wave, definitely. Yeah. I I think we'll follow up on this. Mm. I'd like to do some more research because the last Mm. thing I want is everyone running out to their hardware store buying a particular chemical. Mm. I'd like to really go into uh, how we can manage it because my... My gut feeling is that if everyone's treating with chemicals, they're going to wipe out more than just that caterpillar. The bird life have to be considered as well. He's a he's a nasty one, the army worm. I mm. have no no doubt about that. Uh, yeah, we discovered it also by the soapy water, and up she came. These were very very small, mm. but wow, did they chow down? And and, and I they, think and fast. This fast, is something within a few days. Yeah, well, they act like an army. They just mm, march they, across yeah. the lawn, just eating everything green, which yeah. is why I've got areas of lawn that look like a threadbare carpet. Mm, mm. So what people can do is go out at night time with a torch and look for for evidence of oh, moths. Right. Yeah. Get a photo or catch one. They're mm. easy to catch. Mm. And the other thing is get a bucket of soapy water very soapy water and yeah. pour it on an affected area and and wait too because that's something that clayton said to me a lot of people pour the bucket of soapy water and they think that um a problem might arise straight away give mm. it at least 10 minutes well it 
it's got yeah. to get down yeah. through the surface Wait. and yeah. it covers the caterpillars. They can't breathe, so they come up trying to get yeah. air. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's something everyone can do if they suspect they've got a problem. That's the first step. Yeah. Don't assume. Just no, identify. Sure. Make sure you identify, mm. which we did, and it was horrific. So mm. just one more, one more thing to deal with of late that in the chili thrip, and as you know, I've had <laughs> we've a got white, one of those white emails too. issue as well. I'm absolutely over it at the moment. Okay, we should rustle up some calls nine four eight four one nine two seven back shortly. Kitten Radio. You are tuned into Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain FM. As promised, we are chatting with the Horticultural Communications Manager at Yates, uh, Angie Thomas. Good morning. How are you, Angie? You're with Ray and Faye. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody? Very good. How we're are you? Happy to say we're well. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's good. I hope I'm um, uh, talking to you from the East Coast. I wish I could send some rain over to you guys. Oh, yes, please. We had a bit of a, uh, probably our, one of our first rains for the year. We're very, very behind uh, when it comes to rainfall. And, of course, when we watch what's going on in the Eastern States, it's just so... It's hard to wrap your head around it, isn't it? Just crazy. It is. I wish we could just share. Yeah, exactly. To share a little exactly. bit. Exactly. And we could share our summer with you. <laughs> yeah, perfect, perfect world. Yes. Yeah, so we thought we'd get you uh, on air with us today because we do have a lot of questions about potting mix. And I know you've been liaising with Faye. Uh, we have lots of questions for you. And, of course, it all came about through one of our colleagues, Jim Crine, and said, what happens with my my fertilisers and my potting mix? Uh, we've just had the summer from hell and the temperatures have been very, very consistently high for a very long period of time. And we, we did wonder what happens in the bags of the goodies that we you know, have stored or maybe not stored away as carefully as it as they should be. Well, the... Guilty as charged. The stock uh, that's in hardware stores... Is out in the out, sun. Out in the sun. Well, Does temperature affect yeah. the potting mix the quality in the bag, Angie? Yeah. yeah, so I thought I'd just run you and your listeners a little through a little bit about what potting mixes are. So potting mixes are a mix of organic material and it's often that um, composted pine bark, but it also yeah. can contain coconut fibre and, and um, sand or, and all sorts of things. So there's premium potting mixes and regular grade potting mixes. So premium grade potting mixes are the ones with the red tick on the bag. Um, and so that's all carefully controlled by Australian standards. So potting mix manufacturers have to get their potting mixes audited and approved to be able to carry those standards marks. So when it comes to premium mixes, they have better wettability and also water holding capacity and also they contain more nutrients. So you mentioned before about potting mixes containing nutrients. So they will break down over time. So the the moister and the hotter they are, that's going to accelerate any breakdown. But I know that nurseries and hardware stores do try to rotate their mixes as quickly as they can. And also the potting mixes are designed to have enough nutrients to be able to feed the plants for, for quite a while yeah. as well. So mm. premium mixes more so. So on the bag you'll see it might save these plants for up to four months or six months. Yeah. So just get your listeners to, to look at those bags and then see. But, but also... If the bag has been sitting there for quite a while, um, that's going to mean that your plants may not perform as well as you'd expected. But then a, a good couple of rounds of, 
liquid feeding with something like Thrive will really help. So it's really getting gardeners to be in tune with how their plants are going once they've planted them into that new potting mix. Mm. Angie, can I just ask, how do you advise listeners on what um, release rate they should be going for, whether it's four months or ten months? Look, I actually like feeding my plants not too long after I've potted them up because I think they do need a little bit of TLC. So, I mean, I love liquid feeding as well. Liquid feeding is more like how we eat, so little and often. Um, But really, some of the premium potting mixes are just fantastic and they do have a a really good amount of controlled or slow-release fertiliser in there. So just look on the bag and see whether it says two or four or six months and then start feeding. But your plants will tell you. They will start to give you an indication as to when they're going to need to be fed. But premium-grade potting mixes are fantastic. You really do get what you pay for in the potting mix zone. So the, the more money you can spend... The, the better with potting mix. And think of if you're buying a 20 or a $30 plant mm. and then go and put it in a $2 bag of potting mix. It's really doing the plants no favours whatsoever. So, so um, if someone was growing yeah. autumn veggies, should they be looking at, at a four-month four slow-release fertiliser no, or longer term? For most veggies, four months is going to be fine. There are some things like garlic and, and uh, maybe broad beans that might take a little bit longer. But um, for most veggies, you are going to cover most of your, your nutritional needs uh, for four months and even less if you're growing really quick veggies like loose leaf lettuce and, and um, some fast-growing herbs and things like that. So, but just monitor your plants and see what they're, see what they're doing. So, Angie, just approximately, what, what's the shelf life of a bag of potting mix? So the Australian standards indicate, so this is the the body that oversees potting mix, that they should have, um, if it's manufactured within the the last few months, they should have at least as many nutrients as what it says on the bag. So the idea for potting mix manufacturers and also stores is to be able to turn over their potting mixes as quickly as possible. However, if a potting mix bag is stored in a really hot place in the sun, mm. um, then that's going to degrade those um, those fertilisers quicker than is ideal. They're all still contained in, in the bag, but you're going to get some um, starting to, to break down. So um, some manufacturers will put a, um, a best before or a manufactured date on there. So the freshest that you can buy is always, okay. is always the best. Yeah. And I guess... <laughs> depending on how we're storing them at home, you know, we yeah, unload exactly. them out of the car and throw them in the easiest access place and they sit there in the sun and then they get shifted down the back because visitors yeah. are coming mm. and then the bag gets open and it dries it's out. It's put somewhere. Like, mm-hmm. It's like how long is a piece of string, isn't it? Yes, but it's really important from a safety perspective for gardeners to be storing their bags of potting mix in a cool, dry place. So cool because we want to stop the, any excess breakdown of nutrients and that will help it last a little bit longer. And, and also um, in a dry place as well because you don't want the potting mix, particularly once you've opened the bag, to become too wet. However, in saying that, you do, you do want the potting mix to stay a little bit moist. Now, there are really quite extensive uh, safety directions on potting mix bags, and that yeah. is to help keep gardeners safe. Because there are 
naturally occurring bacteria in potting mixes. They're also naturally occurring in the environment and in the soil. So potting mix isn't special like that. But sometimes if, if you can imagine, if you've let your potting mix dry out and it's become quite dry and dusty and then you open the bag and what you don't want to inhale is those dry, dusty particles. Particles, yeah, correct. So it's really important to keep your potting mix cool and moist and after you've finished using it seal it up so go and steal some pegs from your peg basket or an elastic band and seal it up and that helps to keep it moist it stops it from drying out a little bit and keep it in the cool as well so um, on your baking hot uh, sunny exposed veranda is not the place to store your potting mix and also Mm -hmm. after you've handled potting mix wash your hands really well and also use gloves and it's also a good idea to wear a dust mask as well just to try and minimize any microbes that might be in the potting mix from getting onto you or it down into your lungs. Well, we're, I was we're, read, sorry, go ahead. We're certainly all used to wearing masks <laughs> at the moment. So. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I was reading uh, in your information, Angie, that you're saying that, um, you know, you can it can cause health issues when you inhale um, potting mix particles and um, there's different types of Legionella, but you're also saying that when people are impacted, it can also be those that are, have compromised immune systems already could be more likely to be affected. Is that correct? Yes. If, if you're already not particularly well yeah. or if you're prone, if you've got have some sort of lung condition or mm. your immune system it's is not generally right. mm. suppressed, I mean, you're going to be susceptible to all sorts of things, not not just with uh, sure. um, bacteria and polymics. That makes sense, doesn't it? Mm. it mm. Yeah, so, so those people should be particularly aware, but everybody Careful. should be wearing gloves and a dust mask and making sure their potting mix is moist before mm. they, they handle it. Just also, um, there is, um, so many people might have heard of um, the link between potting mix and Legionella. Yeah. So Legionella, um, most of the, the things we hear about Legionella in the news is from air conditioning units in shopping centres when they're not particularly well-maintained. Yeah. That is a different sort of Legionella to what yes. is in soil and the environment and in potting mixes. Yeah. And can cause similar sort of health issues. Yeah, and I don't think many of us are aware of the differences between, the, you know, the two strains, if you like. Yeah, so it's just really important to handle potting mix safely. And also when you're out in the garden. So because these bacteria can be naturally occurring in soil, mm. um, you don't want to be breathing in dusty, dry soil as no. well. So mm. if you're finding, particularly where you guys are over oh, in the west, yes. if it's dry, it might be better to um, to keep a mask on when you're out in the garden, just in general as well. And always wash your hands after you've been digging in the garden. I'm digging in manure and all sorts of things in my garden. So I'm always making sure that I wash my hands before I come um, inside and and, um, make myself a well-earned cup of tea. Yeah, exactly. And do the same rules apply, for example, to our fertilisers that we buy? And also, you know, products that we buy, how should we best look after those, store them? They should all be stored in a cool, dry place. So whether it's fertilisers, for example, if you've got soluble fertilisers, if you leave the bag open or even granular fertilisers, they're a bit of a moisture magnet, so they can absorb moisture. And then your um, beautiful fertiliser that was nice and free-flowing and easy to use... breaking down. And it becomes clumps, and it's really hard to use. So seal your bags up. Um, Mm. Don't let them be exposed to moisture. And also when you've got your sprays, um, what 
sprays are, are best um, suited to is just mild temperatures um, and not in a boiling hot garden shed because that can actually start to break down the chemicals in the spray. So, yeah. and it's stored I mean, in a cool, dry location. If your garden shed gets to 45 degrees in the summer, that is not the place. It's hard, it's hard in Perth to find a cool, dry location. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe a cupboard. Maybe cupboards yeah, I'm, are I'm, the way to go. Yeah. Maybe in the top of a laundry cupboard, somewhere out of reach of children and pets, of course, or yeah. in, in the garage. So somewhere that it's not too hot. So fertilisers, um, potting mixes, garden chemicals, store them where it's not going to get, um, they're not going to be baked. And that means they're going to last a whole lot longer as well. Um, and, and also, if labels get wet, they can become hard to read. Or yeah. um, if you're like me, I've, I've left a bottle out in the garden by mistake and then snails have come along and eaten the label. Think, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, there must be better things for you to eat. So um, cool, dry, out of uh, reach of children and pets, out of direct sunlight, that is mean, going to mean your potting mix and all your fertilisers and your garden chemicals are going to last for a lot longer and be much safer for you to use. Now, Angie, there's a range of different uh, potting mixes on the market. What are the, the special requirements that these have? Oh, so we've got the regular and the premium grade, and they're, they're suitable for most different types of plants. But there are also um, other groups of plants that require some extra TLC. So think of seedlings and seeds. So if you're growing your own plants from seeds or also taking cuttings, seedling mixes have been specially designed to be very fine. They've got a much finer texture. And that means that the mix is can get in really close contact with sometimes quite tiny seeds or the ends of cuttings. So seedling mix are in a special group and they'll be specially marked as suitable for growing seeds and cuttings. Then you've also got plants like orchids so orchids like um our favorite moth orchids like um they really love a free drained mix they like it chunky because they don't like wet roots and that's one of the biggest things that people do wrong when they're growing orchids yes. is they keep that potting mix too wet so orchid mixes are really chunky and free draining trying to recreate the natural environment that they have up in the rainforest canopy where a lot of orchids grow there's also African violets and also native plants. So they will be specially marked to be suitable for those different types of plants. For example, native plants, most of them really don't like a whole lot of phosphorus. So there is a special rules and regulations around potting mixes that are suitable for native plants. So if you're growing different types of plants, look out for those specialty potting mixes because they're going to be absolutely perfect for them. Fantastic. Well, I think we've covered sure quite have. a range about yeah. potting mixes and I don't think we've left a stone unturned. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. I hope everyone has a really lovely day in their gardens. I'm wishing you rain. Um, yes, but, thank um, you. Extract all the joy out of you can, out of your gardens as you can. Um, and, uh, yes, I'll be doing a rain dance for you shortly. <laughs> oh, thanks very much, Angie. You, Great Angie. information. Thanks so much. Take care. Okay, okay. cheers for that. That was Angie Thomas, who's the Horticultural Communications Manager at Yates, no less. And uh, what a lovely, informative, bright lady to chat with. Yeah, she's lovely. And uh, they've certainly had their 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 problems on the East Coast. Oh, yeah, they sure have. Yeah, it ain't well, easy. I hope, 
I hope Jim's been sitting back listening to to all that because that was particularly for, for his benefit. You, Jim, yes, exactly. So no, it's 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 always great to touch on these subjects again and remind ourselves. I am guilty as charged. I'm very gung ho. I open up a bag or something and away I go. Yeah. So, because for me, I'm always doing things in a hurry and I don't have the luxury of time most of my... And I just think quickly, I'll do that quickly to get one more thing done. It's not the way it should be, right? Okay, we, we would love to speak to you this morning, 94841927. I know we've got lots of emails to get through. I guess we could do one before we go okay. for a break. Well, Matt has just sent in this email just a short while ago and... He said he is a bit of a techno dinosaur, but I actually think you've done very well, Matt. He's sent us not only an email, but with a photo. Well, we love that. And there's uh, a lawn area with a hole, but also a, a mound that's breaking open. Now, uh -huh. this mm -hmm. potentially could could be a few things. Ants in the lawn will bring sand to the surface, although this appears like something big has come to the surface. Now, with last night's rain, it's possible that the rain moths could have erupted. And if that has happened in your garden, you might go out and you might find shells of the pupa on your lawn. So <laughs> they look almost prehistoric. So they're say, the ex exoskeleton mm. of a pupa, of a... What was a caterpillar pupated in the lawn turned into a very, very large moth. So they can be, I'd say, two inches long, so quite significant in size. So if that has erupted from your lawn or any garden, you may see an opening and um, a raised area. And, of course, if it's continued to rain, then there'll just be a pile of sand but you may find the exoskeleton there. And what's really interesting, they they have nippers on the front, which is how they break out of their casing. Mm. So, yeah, look look out for that. And and why why what what does he do the rain moth? Well, it's a moth. That's just uh that's as He's much gonna as going to go out I know. there and lay eggs and do more damage. Ah. Uh, no, not necessarily, I don't think, Ray. And because a lot of butterflies and moths have specific food plants, mm. so they're not necessarily interested in your exotic garden. Mm. They may be more interested in, in the native plants. Mm. I will follow that up for you. Um, the other thing is it potentially could be a mole cricket that's tunneled that's down. This on the so once again, you could try the soapy water However, like ants, they create tunnels and chambers that you you may actually pour your bucket of water, but the mole crooked could be a metre away. So do a few so, spot checks uh, around the lawn? Or, and if it is living in that tunnel, then put a glass jar over the top and monitor it. Because if it comes out at night time, it may be trapped in that glass jar. So... Right. You and might then worms find it. wouldn't do that. Well, they can do, but I think that'd be a pretty big worm. I can't see the future. Yep. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. Oh, okay. This is quite a decent hole, isn't it? Yes. Yes. I it's quite see. significant. Okay. And it's fresh because with the it rain is. that we've had, 
Uh, that's why I think, you know, it could be, could be the rain moths. All right, we'll find out more. John's out yeah. there. Maybe he could look up the cycle of rain moths. Beautiful. Back mm. in a moment. Curtain Radio. You are with Ray and Faye. This is Let's Talk Gardening. We're heading to Mandra. Katie, good morning. Hi, Katie. Nothing happening. Are you there? Hello. Okay. We'll uh, hopefully Katie can come back to us now. Just reading this cold. Irene of Dianella says she has grubs in lawns. Sprinkle with urea and water in. Grubs come to the surface, can be picked up during the day. Saves you going out at night. <laughs> Faye likes to go out at night, Irene. Oh. Wander right. around in her garden, finding well, things. There's so many different things to see at night. Mind <laughs> you, it, it's been pretty quiet lately. <laughs> Even the frogs haven't been calling. So. Yeah, so, yeah. The, okay, sprinkle with urea and water in. Okay. I wonder uh, what the urea, urea does. does. Mm. Or if it's just the water. Mm. And the grubs come up. Okay, interesting. Thank you for that. Very good. Now, we have an email from Trudy in Port Kennedy, and she said, I thought you might like to see the flower on my bromeliad. It's taken a long time for one to appear, and I'm really excited about it. I think it's outstanding and has been worth waiting for. Nature is really amazing. I love it. It is the Bilbergia pyramidalis. I love it when people get excited and they get their one flower. How rewarding. They, they so are just happy. bursting at the moment. Mm. I've put some in a tree and I've got more than half a dozen blooms coming out of the tree. And they um, last for such a long time too. Well, they, yeah. they do, but the bright red, it looks like a big ice cream cone. But the other thing that I've found is because um, the leaves on on. The one I've got are plain green, but I've also got a spotted version as well as a striped version. Oh, lovely. And so, the flowers the same? Yeah, that's that's just, why I think they're the same. Oh, so, okay. But, yes, I, I don't know. When I've been given bromeliads, I often haven't got their names. So yeah, yeah, this is the a thing. bit of guesswork. All right, we have Katie back, I hope. Good morning. Oh, good morning, Faye and Ray. Morning. Hi. I'm ringing about uh, some two questions. One is regarding I've been given some peanuts to plant and uh, I'd like to know a little bit about that because my grandmother used to grow them in the 19... shall we say 1930s on a farm. Wow. do it, yeah. Well... And the other thing was bentonite. Okay. All right, we'll start with the peanuts. Very easy to grow. Of course, if you've got... Fresh peanuts, organically uh, grown or certified, you can plant them in the garden. I'm pretty sure that these are a um, warm season growing plant from memory. I might get John to double check that. Uh, They do grow very easily as a ground cover and they will put up a, a yellow flower, but at the same time they will send down a spike or a root. And so they sort of creep along the ground a little bit the the yellow flower will then uh, drop to the ground or head to the ground and the root will take hold and that is where the peanuts will, f- will form underground yeah in their shell oh. just like you know when you get peanuts in their shells that's what they look like now i think there's also something about uh roasting them before you eat them so you might want to check 
that if you get to that point. But yes, um, any peanuts that you you get in the shell, particularly organic grown ones, would be the safest ones to plant. Yeah, now, you mentioned that they're warm climate. Uh, plant, but we have such hot summers, don't we? I'm wondering what what sort of months would I plant them? All right, we'll get John to to follow up more details about that. I know that uh, I've grown them before in pots and then planted them out into the garden. Um, oh. But yeah, we'll follow that more up with right. John. And what was your question about the bentonite? My garden's a very full garden, but it's very sandy. For years, it hasn't been tended by my husband he's taken a rest <laughs> and oh. uh, uh, anyway I want to sort of build it up a little my daughter gave me some bentonite but I don't know what to do with it uh, well Katie maybe just do a trial bentonite some people have very good results with it but bentonite is a clay uh, the other one is a kaolin clay so they both act differently bentonite is a clumping clay. So even when you put it in the ground and dig it in, it still clumps together. And I I planted some plants recently and I had some a sand to soil mix and yeah. I've it, it is actually been tonight. Whenever I go back and dig the hole again, I've got this this line of white. It's finding its way back to each other now. <laughs> it's, funny. it's interesting. You know, I've heard some people say they will never use it because it's destroyed their garden. They cannot uh, plant anything else that will grow in the same space. Um, mm. So I think it depends how much you use. I wouldn't use too much. I don't think using a small amount will be a problem. Uh, but my preference will be the kale and clay because it days better spread through the garden yeah good good right. cool. if you uh, do you have access to the internet i do okay and particularly if you're on facebook <laughs> you know there's what's been called the clay wars where people have these massive debates about bentonite versus kale yes yes it's it's worse than the north and south of the river debate <laughs> honestly <laughs> Oh, well, I don't want to get involved in that. I'm not on Facebook, but I rely upon people like yourselves to help out. And where I want to use it is I've got three large raised beds and um, they've got everything but vegetables in, but I want to put one into vegetables and I thought I'd, I'd rely on the soil up with this bentonite. Well, uh, it would not be my top recommendation. Thank you. I appreciate that and uh, I'll put it elsewhere. Mm. Yeah, I think, Katie, if I was you, I think I would put it into pots mm. and that way, you know, you you can do something else with the mix if things don't work. Yes, I'll experiment with that. Thank you for the information regarding the peanuts and also the bentonite. You're welcome. And happy gardening to Mandrew. <laughs> yes, indeed. Take care, Katie. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye for now. We'll be back shortly. Radio. Thank you for your company this morning. You are tuned to Let's Talk Gardening. We will be going to the 9am news shortly. Faya Curran. Following up more information about the peanuts. Soil, well-drained, enriched with plenty of compost to lower pH. Full sun, 
They cannot tolerate frost. Uh, feeding is rarely necessary. They are a nitrogen-fixing legume. Mm. Uh, single plants, 30 centimetres apart and can be direct sown in spring and summer. So definitely warm season growing. Now, what I would say is maybe have a go dry, uh, have a go growing them in pots and do a trial with bentonite in one pot. Kale and Kale in, in another one. That would be good. And just maybe ordinary potting mix in another one. Yeah. That way you can gauge. gauge. But I think it's all about how how much you do you know little little amounts aren't going to be problematic but maybe not beneficial either well and that's that's the trial that's the trial <laughs> it'd be good to hear from people as to to Their what thoughts. results they've got yeah and, and, and to had. how much and of course john with that information there john grows peanuts himself so he, d- he just showed yeah. us a photo yeah of his peanuts. so he's done very very well all right uh jim called in jim crinan and he said thank you for the informative talk with angie answered all his questions and more well you're welcome jim Well, and it was quite interesting because I have spoken to a couple of people about his questions, knowledgeable people, and they were not able to give me definitive Definitive. answers. And that's why I went to Angie from Yates. And she actually had to do a bit of homework because I guess it's not not something that people ask all the time. Mm, Or think about. Mm. And you need to think about it. Yeah, it's just one one more thing, I call it. (laughs) Put it on my list of one more things. Okay, I think we'll do... Uh, an email heading into the nine o'clock news. Okay, this is from Patricia and she sent text but also an email with a photo which is great. She would like advice uh, about sweet potatoes. She planted a white and also an orange in a raised garden bed 12 months ago. Neither plant has produced. The foliage is very green and growing wild. She's cut a lot of the foliage away but wants to know how to get the sweet potatoes to produce. And um, so a couple of things. So they've been grown in a raised bed. I wonder how many plants were actually put in here uh, because if there was only two plants, then... They've grown along the surface and they've produced roots. But what we tend to do if we're perhaps uh, wanting our sweet potatoes to produce is we go in with a shovel and chop down, down, down. And so that way the tuber will develop more so where the, the vines have been cut. Yeah. And it's possible that a lot of the energy has gone into the leaves it rather looks like that in so those pictures it, doesn't it, it will happen i wouldn't overfeed it sweet potatoes don't need a lot but i would go in and i would chop everywhere with a shovel with a shovel and you know maybe dig up a portion of the bed you may find that they're starting to develop and or they may be deeper. Like with that amount of foliage across the top of the bed, it would be very hard to know where you, whether you have got sweet potatoes in there without yeah. digging it. Yeah, correct. Uh, and I, I had some growing for more than a couple of years. And when I actually dug down, I had a seven kilo sweet potato to dig up. And was he edible? <laughs> 
It was. Oh, yeah, wow. surprisingly Seven so. Seven kilos. Seven kilos. <laughs> like it was it's like a size, baby. It was the size no, of a football. No, it's like two babies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word. I know. Okay. And, and it got in the community newspaper too, Ray. I think I remember that. Yes. Yeah, it was uh, very, my... very news noteworthy. Is that, a, <laughs> is that a word or a sentence? Yeah. So don't, don't give up. But if you're doing it again, mm. plant lots of shoots, not just a couple. Okay. okay. And time. It Could will it. happen. Yeah. All right. Now, we, I have a note that has just uh, been popped through to me. We did mention this last year, so we will mention it again. Um, there's a garage and pot plant sale and happening today, and it is for the women and children at the Mukti Mission in India. Mukti, M-U-K-T-I, Mukti, Mukti, Mission in India. Now, we we did give it a plug last year, and they did raise $1,500 last year. It was enough to buy an ambulance. That is just wow. amazing. I know. So, there's a garage of pot, plates, pot plant sale happening today for the women and children at the Mukti Mission in India. Now, it's located at the Heritage Christian Church, and that's on Champion Drive in Armadale, the Heritage Christian Church on Champion Drive in Armadale. If you can support it, fantastic. It's such a amazing cause and it just shows you what $1,500 can buy in another country. Wow. Okay, 9 o'clock. Currently 16.5 degrees, heading for a maximum today of 23, mostly sunny. Tomorrow, you can expect a shower or two with a maximum of 22. And on Monday, partly cloudy with a maximum of 22. And I can see by Friday, we potentially are getting back up to 30. So the week's warming up as we go along. So, yeah, I like it when, as, you, as everybody knows already, but there's a two in, in the, it's the first <laughs> digit of the temperature. <laughs> not not any threes, but hey, uh, we have no control over that. Renee Hiller is online. Now, she's a horticulturalist and she's from Apace Nursery. They're down in North Frio. Uh, very, very good uh, situation going on down there that we're learning a little bit more about. And we will have them on air uh coming up towards the end of this month because they have a fantastic open day coming up that we really want everyone to know about. But today we're talking about how we prepare soil for native plants and learn a little bit more. Renee, good morning. You're with Ray and Faye. Good morning. How are you going, ladies? Yeah, We're good. good. Thanks, Renee. Well, haven't you got the best job? <laughs> I do. I love it. You really do. Yeah. <laughs> I envy you. Mm. So yep. last weekend we were asked uh, an open-ended question about how do you prepare soil for native plants? And I thought, well, we would get you on the phone and talk to your perspective uh, on on preparing soil for native plants, Renee. Okay, so that's a question that we do get asked by our customers a fair bit. And um, just to frame it, we need to think about when we say native plants, what we're actually talking about. So uh, people can, when we say native plants, it can be anything from, you know, lily pillies of tropical rainforest in Queensland to the wheat belt and then we've got the Swan Coastal Plain and then maybe some mangroves in Kununurra. So we have to think about which native plants we're talking about. Mm. Um, For us, at a a pace in North Fremantle, we specialise in growing local native plants of the Swan Coastal Plain. So our focus is generally on revegetation 
and encouraging people of our community to use local native plants. So I can give you an answer based on that. Perfect. Um, yeah, so what we would recommend is, firstly, the plants that grow here are incredible. We grow, we live in one of the bi- most biodiverse hotspots of the world and mm. our plants have evolved to live in these incredible ancient soils. So they have got some really interesting ways themselves of getting nutrient from our really nutrient-poor soil. So with that in mind, we actually don't need to do too much to the existing soil. So it can be a case of too much um, general gardening, you know, things that you would do for your roses or your veggie patch. You don't want to put any compost or any manures. You want to actually keep the soil as it is because they can get the nutrient in their own way. So we really want to do less is more. Okay. The thing that is really important that we're missing in the environment these days is all our little native marsupials that would naturally go through compost, turn over the leaf litter, um, keep our soil aerated and also um, able to absorb water. So when it comes to planting a local native plant, one of the top things I think to do is to um, add some soil wetter. So when you're digging that hole to put your little plant in, then always give it a good soak of some soil wetter before you actually plant. Because we're missing those little marsupials that compost our native soil um, and leaf litter, they, um, by not having them there, the soil will get hydrophobic, which means you can water your garden. Have you ever noticed that the water just sits on top? Mm. It doesn't actually soak in. And if you stick your finger into the soil, even though it looks Dry. like there's water on top, it doesn't penetrate. Mm. So soil wetter there is really important to help get that water in. And then simply the other thing that you can do is add a little bit of soil improver or um, native uh, plant mix, native potting mix. And you just want to add a few handfuls of that into the hole that you're planting in. So you've got your little tube stock, which it's always best to start with the smaller plants because basically if you think the smaller they are in the little tube stock, you get the best growth out of that. It's been in the nursery less time than a bigger plant and less spoiled. So it will transition into your garden a lot easier and get used to establishing in your conditions. So what we want to do is just help it go from that nice nursery soil into our local sand. So we just add a few handfuls of either the native potting mix or soil improver, mix that in with your local sand, your local soil. Do you hide um, your, uh, um, some, uh, sorry, soil litter so that it helps break down all those waxy layers on the sand and then pop your plant into that and give it a good water in. You don't ever need to ship in huge amounts of soil. So if you're doing your verge, you don't need to import a whole pile of topsoil. Just improve the little planting holes as you're going. Uh-huh. Very good. Yeah. That sounds too easy. <laughs> so yeah. what, what about, uh, for example, kangaroo paws? How yeah. would you manage them? They're a common plant that everybody probably wants to have in their native garden. Yeah, so the, uh, we've got a few that are uh, local species in on the Swan Coastal Plain. Our classic red and green uh, kangaroo paw, which obviously is our state emblem. Um, and a trick with those is, so in general with kangaroo paw, you don't want to do overhead watering. You want drip watering 
or hand watering just to get them established. Uh, they, when you have overhead watering, then they can be more susceptible to the uh, fungal growth and they can get the inky spot on them and they can start to look a bit ragged. Um, so a thing to notice too is that even when you go up to Kings Park and you see them in the bush or you see them in the bush when you're walking around, they have an incredible flower, but sometimes the leaves can look a bit ratty and that's just the way they go. Mm. Sometimes you can kind of almost crown them, so cut them right back down quite low when they're finished flowering and then that'll spurt on that new growth and it'll look much nicer and it'll kind of clean the plant up a bit. The other thing is with the red and green kangaroo paws, some people do actually just use them as annuals. Annuals or perennials, one season, two seasons. Enjoy them, then chop them down and replant them um, and that'll give you your best kind of show. With the bigger um, hybrids and the ones from down south, then they will just keep flowering for such a long time. And what's actually really nice about them too is just cut a few flowers, put them in a vase in the kitchen or whatever. They're just beautiful. They last quite well. Um, but same again, you can crown them. So you can cut them right back, give oh. them a good prune. And when, when do you do that, Renee? The... Well, that's the tricky thing with those guys too, isn't it? Because they flower so long. Yeah. In general, we say after flower. So um, I maybe, you know, if they've had a really good flush and they're looking a bit, kind of daggy Scruggy, and yeah. cut back then yeah at the end of summer mm. yeah, so like now good show. No. now would be a good time yeah. we've got yeah, a bit of rain do. happening there's a bit of growth yeah, it's still growth, warm yeah and just thinking like in the bush the um they're just everything's just starting to kick off everything's you know getting over its summer survival mode mm. and starting to grow so it could be a good time but the thing is too down at a pace in north Fremantle, you can come down people can come down from Monday to Friday and then on Saturdays in uh, Saturday mornings uh, in May and we've got horticulturalists there, we specialise in these things and we're happy to have a chat, show people around, give some advice and just get them in general really excited about all our incredible local native plants. We've got about 400 species to choose from and they're just from the Swan Coastal Plain. Wow. Plants that will grow in the shade, in the dry. A lot of people don't understand that obviously that there's lots of plants that you can grow in the shade um, and they will grow in the full sun and they will also grow in the shade and we've got such an incredible range but it's really inspiring mm. I mean I've been there for 13 years and I still don't have every plant and can't help myself but take home of a few plants every week and it's just learning which is which and what goes where and what does That's what right. so much to learn go. Yeah. yeah so much to learn and come in and we can help out with those situations that you feel like you've got a little tricky patch or you need some advice, then we're there to help. Okay, so do you have a website? How do people find you? Yeah, yeah, we've got a website. We've got a Facebook page. Um, so if you just look up, you could just type in your Google search, a Pace WA, a Pace North Fremantle, um, and then pop down and see us. Yeah, and we're having a big open day at the end of April, on the 30th of April. It's a Saturday morning. We'll have lots of local community groups with all sorts of fantastic things. Some of the bush care groups that we that we grow for, some of the local social farm, composting. We've got workshops and a pace tours. And we're going to have all our beautiful plants out. It's going to be an incredible day and really show off what our local plants are. It certainly is. And so we will chat with you again uh, leading into that so we can uh, give our listeners the heads up. Now, Renee, while I've got you here, I've got a couple of quick questions for you. This is for Trish. Okay from Trish of Dianella, and she would mm -hmm. like to know when she can cut back Dianella, how do you say it, Cerulea? 
Uh, they're probably, well, if they're anything like mine, they're looking a bit battered after the, after yeah. summer. So I've just been, yeah, cutting out all the dead in mine and um, sometimes you get to the base and that plant's gone because it's been pretty harsh this mm, year. Mm, sure um, some of my dinels I have had to replace. But just cut out, cut out all that yucky brown stuff and just give it a give it a bit of a water give it a bit of a soil wetter and see if it'll um re-sprout for you because that dianellas are incredible plants and this year this last previous year we have had so many of the beautiful native blue banded bees going absolutely nuts all over them and it's so cute they are the cutest little bees yeah. And they love Dianella, so they're a great plant to have. So if you were to cut back a Dianella, and I've seen people do this, when is there a mm. correct timing? You can do it now, definitely. You can do it now, okay. Uh, yeah, do it now, cut down, cut all that um, dead brown stuff right down to the base. Okay. And then see if it'll uh, reshoot up some nice green growth. So That's how... I've been doing with mine. Can you cut it off at ground level or do you need yeah. to leave... You can cut yeah, it all off at ground you, level. Well, I cut off, yeah, cut off all the brown uh, daggy bits and it just have, be careful going through the clump because you might have some green regrowth that's starting to sprout. So as you just, just go through bit by bit, cut off the brown bits and just see if there's any little bits of green that are, are popping up for her because well, that these, might, they, they might be starting to come back. These look more green than brown. So Oh, that's great. Can you, like, well, just, shear them to half? Um... You could do. But yeah, yeah do like... They're kind of like a bit hanging over and getting in the way. Yeah, definitely, because all the new growth will be coming out the base and that'll be nice and strong and straight and give it a bit more structure again. Yeah, but yeah, I guess it'd be quite time-consuming to go through these yeah. and take out all the brown. That's why you just go strand in. Strand by strand. <laughs> yeah, yes. if you've got a really clump, then yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. and there's a few of them. Now, the other quick question is when's the best time to take uh, cuttings of grevillea, specifically moonlight? Uh, well, grevilleas are very tricky from cuttings. Mm. So um, now is a good time. Uh, try and get your setup uh, so you've got a nice, cosy little warm spot. Um, grevilleas, try lots of cuttings is all I can say. They can be really tricky. Uh, but we will be having a propagation workshop down in a pace um, on the 30th of April and uh, one of our staff will be talking through how to propagate different plants and he'll def Richard will definitely be talking about cutting then so he can show you a little home setup, which is really handy. Uh-huh. Excellent. But Thank you. Now's good. Now's a good time. Okay. Thank you very much, Renee. That's been very You're helpful. Welcome. Very thorough. Okay, and we'll speak again maybe in a few weeks. You, you shall. And, uh, yeah, look after, look after yourself. Keep safe. And uh, we'll chat soon. Thank you. Thanks, Lady. Thanks, Renee. Okay, Cheers bye. for that. And that was Renee Hiller, horticulturalist at Arpace Nursery. That's spelled A-P-A-C-E, Arpace Nursery. They're located in North Frio. You can Google them if you'd like to make a visit. I think it's worth well worth mm. going down. The open day sounds incredible. So we will talk to them again leading into that because lots of information. It's, it's certainly... Yeah. There is a lot to learn with oh. native plants. It's, it's mm. too, almost too broader range it's like saying mm. mediterranean plants like yeah. what does that it's mean not very mm. um definitive yeah. it is not definitive mm. at all mm. so we we really need to talk about the individual plants yeah. grevilleas kangaroo yeah. paws the yeah. different families the eucalypts they're all big subjects all by uh, themselves the grasses yeah. the dianellas and so many different types mm. both 
Western Australian and Eastern States, so you can mix them up and... Mm, I know. Exciting. <laughs> All right, we're in Singleton. Sharon, thanks for waiting. Morning, Sharon. Yeah, good morning, ladies. How are you? Very good, good thank you. Oh, that's great. After all that beautiful rain last night. Oh. No, it's thrilling. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, now my question is, I came off acreage in Queensland, Ebo Desert. I didn't take much notice. But um, the Persimmon. Yes. What is the root system like? Hmm. All right, I'm going to throw this one to John because I could not tell you. Have you got one in your garden? No, but I've got one I'd like to put in the garden. Right. Okay. Uh, we will follow this up with John if you'd like to keep listening, Sharon. Would that be all right? Yeah, and how high also do they grow? I know you can cut them back and keep them considerably lower than what they actually grow to, you know? Mm. But um, I'm just worried about the root system because it's got all bore pipes, everything like that, and I don't want to take them up. All right. Okay. We'll come back after the break with that information for you, Sharon. Thank you very much. And you guys have a great day. I love your program. <laughs> Thank you. We, we're pretty fond you of it too. Week. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Cheers, Sharon. Bye. Okay. Bye. Have a good day, guys. You bye. too. Cheers. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. And uh, we will be back in a moment. 23 minutes after 9 at 10am, George Minoldi will be here with the classic 70s for you and uh, Brendan T from 12 noon. So another great day lined up on Curtain Radio as always. Uh, on the subject of sweet potatoes, Ray, Paula has sent in saying she listened with interest to the person who had no sweet potatoes and she's quite the opposite. She said she's growing the sweet potatoes for their leaves. The white <laughs> variety particularly is their leaves are nicer to eat. You can get organic sweet potatoes easily but not organic sweet potato leaves. Mm. It is a dish served in restaurants in Singapore cooked with Sambal, Sambal Belashan. I hope she will harvest the leaves and try it for herself. Cheers for a great and informative program. Thanks, Paula. Lovely. Oh, back on the topic of food. Food, I know. <laughs> we <laughs> like it. <laughs> I wonder what a Sambal Belashan is. We'll have to, we'll have to Google that. Mm, in our spare time. So uh, at the present moment, what I found out about persimmons is that they can grow to six metres mm. and have a strong taproot. But we've we've still got John looking into that. The subject of chilli thrip has come up again uh, from Vi, and she has seven roses. Um, they just keep getting tiny leaves and very small buds and don't even open. She's fertilised them. She's sprayed with a rose spray. They're about 10 years old and except for two, one is just Joey. They used to have the biggest blooms but now so tiny. I've only had this one for about three years. Any advice? See, it's well, heartbreaking. It really mm. is if you love roses and you love your roses. I mean, I have chilli thrip on mine and it is. It's soul destroying. Well, the good news is the bit of rain around will help break the cycle mm. and slow them down. It won't get rid of them altogether. No. Uh, you, you can spray them, 
but you need to alternate your sprays. Anything that we use in the garden, the pests can become resilient to to, it. to the sprays. So you must alternate. Hmm. And you should only be using something that is registered for the control of thrips. You can't just go out and use anything. A spray, yeah. Um, there mm. are particular controls around spraying. Mm. Mm spraying and registered sprays yeah so i think success is one of the products and eco neem with eco oil is another one uh personally in my garden i use the the water spray i'm only lightly deadheading i've used minimal fertilizer so i'm not encouraging lots of new fresh growth yeah uh and i put companion plants through my garden yeah so that's they they're holding in there. I'm not seeing mm. the the witch's broom type growth, mm. and I'm still getting flowers. Mm. Still picked another bunch of roses this week mm. to bring inside. Mm. I don't. I think your your gardens as impacted as some. If I where I live and I go for a walk, um, anyone that has roses, they're all absolutely annihilated in my area. And mm. I think you probably have a little bit of luck because you're more isolated on your... Well, even driving through South Lake, uh, there's, there's rose bushes that are still... Okay. You know, they're putting on nice new mm. red growth. The leaves from a distance look healthy and the blooms are still sizeable. Mm. So Some areas are more affected than others. Mm. I know in, in where I am, there's a radius, you know, around areas like Mount Lawley and so on that are suffering. You and know. I do wonder uh, if it's... Uh, some rose varieties and or the age of them makes well, them more absolutely, susceptible. Absolutely, because some, some of mine are le less affected than others. Mm. Yeah, so there's there's more to all of this. So obviously our little thrip friends, some are, fi are finding certain rose varieties of more mm. interest than others. It but the seems. birds lately are going nuts in the garden. A lot the, of birds around. The yeah. honey eaters come through dozens yeah. and dozens and they're chattering away mm. i think they put the word out when they find something mm. um the willy wagtails lots of them around yes. at the moment yeah 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 it's a few okay. different bird song it's all it's all just ramping up mm. and yesterday i put a, a saucer out in the garden at ground level and it was in no time at all i had the birds willy wagtails and honey eaters coming in and having a slurp. having a, a wash yeah, yeah. It's just good. lovely to watch them. It is. Okay. Carry on. Uh, do, do, uh, well, okay, here we have another sad one uh, from Hillary. And it is a hedge in Auburn Grove. The bushes seem to have died off completely. First thought was that the sprinkler system was not working in this area, but apparently it is. Uh, the hedge on the other side seems lush and green however on closer inspection the leaves are not healthy and i suspect that the hedge may go the same way oh, it's hard to tell from the photos exactly what the hedge is yeah uh i did wonder if it's a potosporum uh, that was my guess. is a beetle that mm. sucks sup, sucks the sap out uh, I would be going in for a closer inspection to see if there's any sign of bugs. And if you can get a photo, 
this is a, a great opportunity to send the pictures in to my Pest Guide Reporter app. Mm. For those of you who don't know it, it's an app that you can download download on your mobile phone. You take a couple of photos. Uh, I would try and get the bug and also the damage and a close-up photo if you can. Sometimes there's there's evidence of insect excreta. You might see webbing. There may be some other signs that narrow down what it could potentially be. And the Ag Department are very good at returning information in a short period of time, telling you what the problem is and also how to deal with it. And unfortunately, one of these hedges has is died gone. completely. Yeah. So yeah. I wouldn't waste any time finding out exactly what it is. O- often with hedges, they get very clustered and there's not a lot of airflow. So going in and removing any dead, dying or diseased material out of the centre, giving it a light cutback, treating the soil with a wetting agent, and and maybe giving the bushes a spray with a, a seaweed or fish product mm. can help. And particularly with the rains coming, you want to make sure that that water can get into the soil. The other thing is that these beds don't have a lot of room, so the roots may well have filled out the space between the fence and a limestone retaining wall. Mm. So... They, they certainly need uh, something to revitalise their root system. Yeah. So doing those things will help. Okay. All right. Let me see. I'm just looking at the time. We can do one more. Uh, What's what that one did... with your hand on there? There's another... Um... It's another army worm one, right? Mm. So Kay from Mandra, literally hundreds of army worms invaded overnight. The devastation caused uh, to the dichondra. Oh, I have So dichondra. it pa- pays to keep on top of it. I'm reluctant to spray as it may harm the visiting birds. And, and that's exactly right, Kay. Now, caterpillars in general, there is a product that is targeted on caterpillars. Caterpillar it's killer. organic. That's mm. right. Caterpillar mm. killer or dipel. Mm. And it works on young caterpillars. Mm. So... Yeah, getting getting to them early would be a help, and unfortunately, there's not a lot of not much left, left here. But you know, lawns are very resilient. You give them some mm. seaweed product and wetting agent, and that will come back pretty mm. pretty quickly with some warm weather. Do you think the dochondra would come back there? Yeah, yeah, that would come yeah, back. I think so. I think it's only the leaf, and mm. I think if you got onto it early, mm. the dipel and and um, and maybe aerating it as well will give mm. it a bit of a boost and get it going. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm sure it's a problem quite widespread mm. and I'm pretty sure I probably had it last year and the lawn recovered without too much. I mean, it's just awful when you see a fantastic-looking lush green lawn. Disappear. And this big swathe of... It looks like someone's thrown poison right across it. Tell me and about that, it. As they march through. I have it. I know. Oh. I know. I have it. And do you have other an, another email? We can do a couple. This is a big one, right? So bear with me. Okay. Cherry Blossom Tree. I listen to your gardening show and I always find it very interesting, fun 
informative and helpful with the advice and tips you give to listeners. I've enclosed a photo I took of the cherry blossom tree that is in the front garden of a rental in Cardinia. I'd like to know more about the cherry blossom tree, especially when and how much to prune to keep it healthy. It has blossomed with flowers each year during the uh, with flowers each year during the nearly five years I've been living here. I've not done anything to it, as you can probably see in the photo. I'm a complete novice when it comes to soils, nutrients, and what to do to help improve the life of a living plant, shrub, or tree or lawn. Any advice would be sincerely appreciated. I'll be listening to your, to your show, but there is a possibility that I might get an email back with written instructions what to do and where to get any needed products, please. JJ Cardinia. So it it looks like a fruit tree uh, that has been, you know, just for, forgotten a little bit. Uh, there looks to be suckering or some other plants growing underneath. Mm. Now, if that is the case, and this can happen at the stem of a plant as well, yeah. rather than cut them, because if you cut, it mm. will just keep growing yeah, with tear. more vigour. Mm. So tear them away from the roots and the trunk of the tree. It, it can be a tough job. The other thing I would do is just make sure nothing's growing at the low the, on the low trunk before it does branch out. Now, if you cut it now, you will miss out on some flowers. So I would probably say just give it a tidy up. Uh, just keep it into the shape that you want. So it's it looks like it's over the roof of the garage and it's heading up to the height of the roof. Mm. So if you can just bring that down a little bit, uh, now would be an okay time to do that. You can also do a follow-up after it's lost all its leaves. Yeah. And when you do that, you can get a better look. It'll be mm. easier to see the framework. So I would just take out anything that's crossing over in the centre, mm. anything smaller than a pencil, cut out and just, just give it a light tidy up. And then it will shoot away with vigour and you'll get lots of blossoms in spring. Yeah. Uh, if it hasn't been fed and it's doing this well, uh, I wouldn't worry too much at all. Now, there's some lawn growing around the base and it looks like some alisum, which I'm a big fan of. I would, I would just mow the lawn and I would throw on some wedding agent and... You know, the best thing that you can do to make a look a garden maintain is do your edges. Mm. If your lawn is mown and your edges are done... Very neat looking. It looks pretty, <laughs> pretty good. It off, doesn't it? Uh, weed yeah. the garden beds mm. and maybe throw on some mulch. You know that Magic. the recycled tree chip mulch that's free is fantastic. It helps mm. keep the weeds down. Mm. Uh, there's a robolini palm right next door. I like to under prune them so you've got a nice clean trunk and you know that spot in the garden will will look very good very quickly and then 
I'd take a chip to the nursery and I'd buy some annuals and I'd put them in and they will grow without too much trouble at all and add a bit of colour. Pretty it up. Mm. Okay. Well, let's head to Middle Swan. Maria, good morning. Yes, good morning, Ray. Good morning, Faye. Good morning. Someone's someone's given me a holly bush. I think that's what she said it was a holly bush. It makes these little red berries. It's actually green berries at the moment. I've got it in a shade house because I didn't want to lose it. And now it's growing quite big. If I put it out in the garden, will it live or does it like full sun or not Um, really? uh, Is it the Ilex prickly? Well, not really prickly. Um, It looks more like an Indian hawthorn bush. Um, But um, then it makes those little red berries. Oh, are you sure it's holly? Well, that's what she said. She bought it at a market. She said it was a holly bush. It was only a little twig when she gave it to me. And um, now it's about four foot high. Can you describe the leaves to me, please, Maria? Um, it actually looks as, looks like a camellia's leaf. Oh. It's nice and um, nice and glossy. And, yes, um, just taking a photo of it. But yeah, it hasn't got the it hasn't got those uh, wrinkly edges like okay. the holly's supposed to have. All right, and unfortunately, this is the the problem with common names because yep. it doesn't have a leaf like a holly bush, so mm. it's it doesn't sound like the ilex that I was thinking of. Has it got little scalloped edges? No, no, it, not at all. Uh, not at all. Plain. It's got um, plain leaves. So mm. Unless it's probably because it's grown in a greenhouse. And it's got green berries on it. All right. At the moment. And then they go red. Okay. There is a plant called Ardisia crisper, which has little red berries. Um, yeah, there are many others. So I think the photo will be a help, Maria. I don't know yeah. if I can help you without it. Mm. Yeah, okay then. I'll just keep it in the greenhouse for a while longer. I was going to put it in a pot outside now since the weather's cooling down. I thought it won't, you know, curl over because it's getting a little bit big inside the house. <laughs> mm. Well, I'm curious. Is there any way you can send us a photo? Uh, yeah, I can take a photo and send it to you. All right. Um, to yeah, the I'll email address? Now. Yeah, that's fine. Have you got a pen there, Maria? Uh, yeah, I think I've got your number. Okay, perfect. Do that. <laughs> yeah, all right. All right we look all forward right. to receiving that. Okay, I'll thanks. Send it to you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay, and let's go to Dianella. We're talking about how to pronounce a plant name. Oh, oh Barbara. Good morning. Oh, good morning, and a question as well. Um, I missed the first bit of the sweet potatoes because I think they're about time to lift in April. I was going to leave mine till the end of April. Um, it sounds really strange because you plant them out in October and they're kind of expected to produce tubers by April when you lift them, if I've Googled rightly. Uh, Does that well, make sense? Well, mm, they, I, in my experience, they take a very long time to grow, uh, but then yeah. mine are, are growing in pretty poor soil too, I guess. But yeah. I've also... Uh, when the frosts come and the leaves die off, that's another time that I've started digging them up. 
Okay, good. That makes sense. I can hold off for a little bit longer. Yes. Um, the, the interesting thing is that those leaves go crazy there. My husband growls because they, they just decided to march across the lawn as well. So I've been chopping them back and using them. And yes, onions and garlic, if people don't like sambal blachan, but sambal blachan gives you that beautiful prawny pot flavour through it too. Ooh, okay. Oh, yeah. yum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you can do either. Yeah. But um, we make our own sambal blachan, so, you know, we're not... You can buy sambal olek. I've seen that in the supermarkets. But, yeah, you can just cook it with chilli and blachan, and that's really nice too. Lots of garlic. And and mm. what is it, Barbara? The blachan? Yes. Um, it's a prawn paste and stinks to high heck. Oh, okay. <laughs> But once but you cook once it, you it yeah. in dish, you can't live without it. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I kind of have an idea of what you're talking mm. about, actually. And Barbara, are you the are you the same lady that wanted to know about the orchid show? No, I missed that. I know. Um, I'm in and out today. Yeah. I know. There's another Barbara of Dianella. That's all. Um, wanted to know about okay, yeah. a date. And I'd like to know too. So I'll look forward to hearing. Okay. All right. All good? Thank you. Okay. Now, take... One more question, sorry. I have a kiwi berry. It's two years old. Um, and this year we had fruit on it, but it's starting, the, 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 the vine is losing its leaves and putting out new shoots, which is a bit bizarre. But the fruit are not actually softening and ripening. They're hard. Mm. Okay. Uh, like with a lot of things, often we just have to wait. I'm, I know we've talked about kiwi berry before, but I can't remember the details of it and as to when it would be ripe. Um, yeah. I might have to listen back to one of the podcasts where we had Chris Oliver talking on because he, he went into quite a lot of depth about the kiwi berries. Okay. All right. I'll have okay. to I'll put that on my homework list, Barbara. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for the program, girl. You're welcome. for that. All right. We'll be chatting to Margaret next. And here we are back again. It's all right. We get very busy on our little breaks. Faye's just drowning in uh, paper at the moment. We'll head to Mundaring. Margaret, good morning. Good morning, girls. Morning, Margaret. Um, regarding your... Um, advice about uh, suckers. Yes. Um, would this uh, include water shoots on roses? Because I remember getting some advice from you oh, a long time ago that you can tell when a water sh- a sh- the root of a rose is growing a water shoot because the leaves are not the same as the rose leaves. Mm. And that's how you uh, know that it's foreign so to speak mm. so well, does that apply with the actual tearing off and not the cutting procedure well the the term water shoots makes me think or yeah it don't know how to explain this but if everyone's thinking that a water shoot is that thick shoot that's new red and quite large and full of moisture that just shoots up and creates the new framework of the tree, yeah. that's that's good. 
that so is below the graph is not if it's mm. below the graph that's yeah. a different thing mm. so if you've got a new shoot that is strong it is the new framework for the plant provided oh. it's above the graft if it is coming from below the graft or the knobbly base of the plant and it is very thorny and different to what's above the graft then you do tear that away you don't cut it yeah well this is a papa Meerland rose that's 20 odd years old mm, right and it's uh, over two meters high um but um and i've because the leaves are quite different to the rose leaves i've always assumed that it's below the graft but I just wanted to verify whether it's a cutting or a tearing pro, um, procedure. Like, Where is it coming from on the plant, Margaret? Well, I haven't actually dug down. I've oh, it's that low? It's, yes, it's, I've just assumed that it's coming from below the graft because the leaves are not the same. They're very narrow and okay. pointy. And if it's coming from below the ground... I think yeah. that you would be right in thinking that it's rootstock. Yes, yeah. And yeah. so, yes, I would... Tear it away. Dig, yeah, you might have yeah. to excavate and then yeah. sort of mm. push it away and so that it tears because yeah. if you do cut that, it'll just... Um, it's well, a it message. Does keep, it does keep growing only because my odd job man cuts it off even though oh. i said you've got to tear it right mm. you know, he doesn't un sometimes. he doesn't understand no but is the water shoot the correct term for those i don't think so no oh okay good. no i <laughs> a foreign shoot <laughs> yes um it's it's a shoot so then we just need to narrow down where it's coming from yeah. and its function so if it's coming from below the graft and or in your case below the ground mm. It sounds very much like rootstock. It if it's coming above the graft and it's healthy and it's strong and it's red and it's yeah. full of moisture, yeah, yahoo. That's the new framework of the plant and they're the ones that we want to encourage. Yeah, that's right. Oh, it's never had, it's never had leaves the same as the rose bush. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Very now, suspicious. Can I just quickly ask your advice about my turmeric when the plant dies down next month? Um, can I can just instead of harvesting it, can I just um, put it back in new soil and leave it until next uh, spring when it sprouts? Or perhaps can I cut it in half and just plant half and yes, and eat half? yes, that's that's a perfect idea. Um, so the plants do sort of die back a bit when it gets cold. You have to be very careful. Well. Um, any of those ginger type plants mm. that they don't rot in the pot or oh, no, in the I, soil? I keep, I keep it out of the rain. Okay. And I keep it apart so it doesn't get, the, the pot mm. doesn't get mixed because the, the plant disappears entirely. Just looks like an empty pot full of okay. old soil. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So you could certainly harvest it and replant half and. It, it basically goes dormant until yeah. the warm weather comes, the days get longer, and, yeah, um, yeah it, it so gets it, warmer, it triggers it to start growing. This year, yeah, this year it grew a, a plant twice the size of the previous year. Well, that's and, good. Um, 
So then I did keep it out of the winter rain so that it wouldn't rot. Yep. But uh, that's Ronnie. Thank you so much. That lady from the A-Pace nursery was absolutely amazing with all yeah. that wonderful information oh. about the natives. Well, yeah. she certainly uh, portrayed it in a way that was easy to understand and a it was all very relative about the endemic plants, which, you know, is a great starting place. Fantastic. Mm. Thank, Thank you, you so Margaret. The show, girls. Bye You're now. welcome. Right. Cheers, love. Bye. 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 And Mary of Melville has asked if you can repeat where you get your green malt from. Uh, well, uh, you get it from, from the council? Well, from our trees, uh, from tree loppers. So with stormy weather coming... Mm. Uh, some of the, the local loppers, if you Contact see one them. in the street, you can ask them if they have some. Uh, Mulchnet is another place that you can register yeah. for. Um, and it's, it's very potlucky right? as yeah. to whether you get it, get it or not. Uh, but, yeah, just ask around because tree loppers need to get rid of it. Sometimes they'll sell it, sometimes they'll charge a delivery fee uh, and some soil yards will also have it at a cheap rate. It might be called Mulch if it's at a soil yeah, yard. Yeah, okay. Uh, and you can then buy it by the trailer load or have it delivered. Mm-hmm. Okay, and Barbara of Dianella phoned in and she's wanting to know the date of the orchid show at the John Septimus Row. Last year it was in October, Barbara, so uh, I'm assuming if that goes ahead it will be around the same timing. We will be notified when We will be notified, but I do ahead. have details of an orchid show coming up on the 1st of May, so I'll talk about that on the other side of this. Triton Radio. Been another busy morning, lots of information, certainly a lot of emails to get through today. Uh, as I was saying, we do have... An orchid show coming up, the Autumn Orchid Show. It's at the Northern Districts Orchid Society. Now, this isn't till May 1st, Sunday the May 1st, between 9am and 3pm. And it will be at the Bruce Douglas Pavilion, which is in Salisbury Road, Swanview. So we will mention this again closer to the time. But there is an orchid show coming up on the 1st of May in Salisbury Road, Swanview. Okay, and that's the Northern Districts Orchid Society. Ray, we've got some information about the persimmon uh, and its roots. So the roots of the common persimmon are not a problem, but the tap roots of the Japanese persimmon do pose a problem. They're deep and invasive, which makes them difficult to transplant. To solve this issue, Japanese persimmons are grafted onto the rootstock of common persimmons. This means that whether you you purchase a Japanese or common persimmon, the sapling will most likely have common persimmon rootstock. So, for the lady who has one in a pot, I would be trying to understand what exactly she has and you know i don't know how many times i say or ask what variety have you got and often people don't know so it's very yeah. hard yeah. to provide information when we we don't know what we're starting generic with. information mm. definitely uh, and along the same lines ruth has sent in a photo of a plant she says this plant has come up in a pot of mine when living in Bakers Hill don't know what it is one nursery has suggested it's a money tree chased tree and another suggested it was a white sapote could you please tell me what you think well it's 
it's a beautiful looking plant, beautiful glossy green leaves. Mm. Uh, I do have a white sapote growing in my garden. It's actually quite tall. I will compare the leaves to it when I get home. Yeah. Uh, for now, I would just keep it in a pot. Looks very vigorous. Well, it does, and it looks mm. to me like a rainforest tree. Mm. It, it's got a almost glossy green leaf, um, five-fingered or palmate leaves. So someone who specialises in rare fruit trees would probably know. So I, I will look for more information. It's a gorgeous-looking plant. I'd mm. be very keen to know what it is. Mm-hmm. And then we know how to deal with it, whether we should put it in the ground, what sort of conditions. Uh, now, we have also received an email from Denise. She has a beautiful mandevilla, which her granddaughter greatly admires. She's just moved into a house in Australin with very few plants in the garden and would like to know how to propagate it. Can she do this from a cutting? We have looked for one similar at a nursery with no luck. Thank you so much for your excellent show. At 73 years old, I've been gardening for 50 years and I still learn something new every week. Of course. That's fantastic, Denise. You certainly can grow from a cutting and I have had good results with this myself. Just accidentally, I was moving, as I do, a plant that was growing up a trellis and I was cutting back the dead bits and then accidentally I cut a metre off and it wasn't a dead bit at all. So to mm. save it, mm. I quickly just stripped away the lower leaves and cut the top off and stuck it into pots. And it lo grew. and behold, they just grew. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you're not sure, have a go. We've yeah, still got, got nothing some warm to weather now. Mm. Autumn is a good time yes. to propagate. Spring is probably the best time. Mm. But it it's no trouble to nip a bit off here and there. Uh, I would probably go for some woody growth at, you know, semi-hardwood, so it's going from brown to green. Mm. Strip away the lower leaves, put two nodes in the pot and just two leaves above the ground, put it into your shade house, and before you know it, you'll be popping out new shoots and the roots will be growing out the bottom. (laughs) It's one of... Propagating plants is one of the greatest joys joys in life. And speaking of that, today Bev has brought in a cutting. We spoke about aroids and I brought some in a few weeks ago. She went home, lovingly potted it up. The leaf I gave her looks fantastic and it's pushing out new variegated shoots. Yeah, amazing. She's a very good gardener, is our Bev Daring. She she sure is. is. And coming up, actually, on the 23rd of April is the Wildflower Society of WA. They have their Northern Suburbs Branch Plant Sale. Assorted tube stock uh, from $4 and it'll be between 9am and 2pm. Now, that's, um, you know, comes around a couple of times a year, I think. It's at the Lansdale Farm, corner of Lansdale and Evandale Roads in Darch. So that's something to put in your diary as well. The Wildflower Society of WA, Saturday, April 23. But, wait, there's, there's more, more. So Lansdale Farm School are open during the week. Yeah. I was up there a few weeks ago. They, they have a farm there. They've got animals. There were rabbits and sheep and you can... Is that a good place over the holidays? Absolutely. They've got a fantastic playground. 
There's a cafe, plant sales. So check out the times. It's a great place to take the kids. Okay. It really is. Okay. Mm. All right. Look, I think our work is done. Uh, Easter next weekend, we will be here. We are chatting with uh, the, the Salvia fellow, aren't we? We are, yes. Yeah, so and also Lisa Passmore. Now, she would have joined she's us She's unwell today. today. Yep. Correct. So we're following on about our designing a step garden. Step by step. And step. Yeah. So I'm... I'm really excited about that. Really it's pumped. Really yeah. got me thinking <laughs> and talking about the endem- endemic native plants. You know, it's it's just building up all that information so you can get out there and garden. Have a go. Have a go. All right. It's been, <laughs> been an informative morning, if I don't say so myself. No, it's been really enjoyable and uh, we've really got through a lot of homework there with all of our emails. Thank you guys for participating. We appreciate that very much. Thanking Bev Daring and John Glidden and of course our very own Faye Akaro. George is filling in today. George Minoldi is sitting in the corner very patiently. He's ready to play the classic 70s for you till 12 noon. Then we go country with Brendan T. Okay. Gardenism for the morning is autumn. You blush my heart with a beauty that travels through my dreams year round. Do you like that? It's That's romantic. lovely. Okay, everybody, take care of yourselves. Keep safe. Happy gardening. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.